Are you tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to this episode of Creating the Future. Uh, this is a very special episode to me today because I get to share with you an interview I did with a person that in some regards is a hero to me, uh, a trailblazer, a pioneer, somebody who went before me back in my days of youth ministry and even now watching how he is leading and learning from him. And that is a guy by the name of Johnny Wilson. Uh, Johnny serves as the executive pastor at Faith Assembly in Orlando, uh, one of the premier Assembly of God churches is in the state of Florida and uh, is doing an outstanding, outstanding, outstanding job there. He is an incredible leader. And I had the opportunity to, to interview him in the midst of a group of churches in our area uh, called Section 10. It's kind of the East Hillsborough County area. And for all these churches, I had the opportunity to interview Johnny. And I had asked him if he would allow me to put it on the podcast. And he said that he would. And so I just love the fact that I get to share this with you. Now, if you're in ministry, this might pertain to you a little more than others, but I think we can all learn some valuable leadership lessons through this great conversation with Johnny Wilson. So without further ado, let's jump right into today's podcast with Johnny Wilson. As we get started, let's just have some fun right off the bat. So we're going to play Would You Rather. I got five Would You Rather questions, technically six that I threw in another one. So (laughs) would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-grandchildren? Uh, I was ready to go future until you said great-grandchildren. I'm not sure. Great-great-grandchildren. Uh, great-great. I'll, I'll go future, great-great, you yeah. know, see what the future's like. What do y'all say? What would y'all do? Yeah? You got a lot of future people, okay. The world might not even be here at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's the scary part, that's why. <laughs> right. <laughs> would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? Uh, man, I'm going to say, uh, it's, yeah, I'm going to go rewind too late for the pause. There's, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, I I would, I'd like to go back. My, I've had, um, just a little personal thing, but I've had three of my kids get married in the last, uh, two months or so. So definitely rewind, go back to some of those younger days for Mm. a little bit. Heard that. Would you rather be able to talk with animals or speak in foreign languages? Uh, I can already speak to my dog, and he understands a lot, so I'm going to go foreign languages. Would you rather lose your vision or your hearing? (laughs) That's just dire. (laughs) You can tell the positive confession people, they're like, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to say either one of those because... um, um, Well, man, that's a tough one, isn't it? I don't know. I'd say it's 50-50 for me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Would you rather be Batman or Superman? Superman. He is the official best superhero. That's no debate there. That. All right. All right. This is the one I threw in, maybe the most important one. There's a game tonight at 825. Miami Dolphins or Jacksonville Jaguars? Who I want to win or who I think will win? Uh, let's go with who you think will win. It's probably going to end in about a... Six to six tie, but <laughs> uh, 
the game to watch this weekend will be Monday night. But uh, I will say uh, I don't mind. I like the Dolphins better than I like the, the Jags. Yeah, I don't like the Jags very much. So let's go Dolphins. Dolphins, Dolphins by, uh, by 10. And uh, whoever wants to see it, if you're at this meeting, you're only, you're only going to get to see the second half because we're going along. <laughs> all right? Spirit of God is going to fall, and uh, we're going to be here a while. Everybody get ready. Who is, who is your team? The Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs, the world champions. Yeah, that's, but and it's not a bandwagon your team before thing. before Patrick Mahomes. Oh, I'm talking, trust me, I, you can go back on my social media. I was suffering through all of the rough years. So I've been uh, since, I mean, I grew up in Kansas City, so okay. I come by it naturally. I, I've, okay. been, I've, been, I've been with them for a long time. <laughs> all right, let's set the tone for this evening with this question. What is the funniest thing that you have done or seen or been around in all your years of ministry. Tell us a funny story. Uh, well, I got I mean, there would be a lot, as with all of us who have been in ministry for a minute. But um, so sometimes, you know, you get in meetings and these ideas get thrown around and they sound good in a, in a meeting room. Like, oh, that'll be awesome. And then when you try to actually make it real, you're like, who, who was saying this would be good? Like, this is not good at all. So this is one of those instances where in a, in, a, in a meeting, we were planning a big night. This is for student ministry probably 10 or 12 years ago. Um, we were going to have a big outreach service and bring in hundreds of lost kids. And we were going to, I mean, you know, really present the gospel in a riveting way and see so many of them saved. And so how can we do that? Just talking about different creative ideas. And someone had the idea, um, why don't we talk about the rapture? Uh, all right, that would be good. And then, um, and then why don't we like, why don't we... Let's make a rapture like kind of happen. And then everybody will be like, oh, my gosh, is this it? And then it's when we go, it wasn't. But were you ready? And then like the altars would be flooded. So in the meeting room, this was a I mean, it was a done deal. This is going to be amazing. This might get a write up in Pentecost Evangel back when they had, you know, write ups and such. Uh, The night comes. uh, I'm preaching. Here's the way it was supposed to go down. I'm preaching. I have my key phrase. The, the trump of God sounds. Guy, we were supposed to have a guy back there playing trumpet. The trump of God sounds. Everybody goes, oh, my gosh. And then Jesus appears in the, in the, up in the sky of our gymnasium where we met. And he says, come. And everybody freaks out. And then we give the altar. That's how it's supposed to go down. I'm preaching. I get to my little key phrase. And the trumpet doesn't sound. And so I have to circle around and stall and then come back around to my key phrase. Still no trumpet is sounding. So now I'm preaching directly back at where the trumpet I notice at that point, it's not the senior in high school first chair trumpet player that they were supposed to get. Apparently, he couldn't be there that night. It's this little middle schooler with like shaking, holding this trumpet, (laughs) scared to death. And so I circle around the third time and I give my phrase. And instead of like Gabriel sounding the trumpet, it was kind of more like a uh, like a sick, dying animal. So the third time I go around, he's kind of like. So instead of this roaring trumpet, it's that and then dead silence. And I I don't have really anything else to say because now I got to wait for the rapture to happen. So this. And then it's kind of silent. The next thing you hear is the sound of a genie lift. You guys know what a the genie lift. So in our in the gym back then, we had a backdrop that was a curtain. Then we had some room and then the, the wall would be back there. So the genie lift was supposed to go up during the trumpet blast, but there was no trumpet blast. 
So now all you hear from behind the curtain is... So then I'm, I'm looking at all these students as they're like looking puzzled like, what's that sound? And so they're looking in the general direction. As they're looking in the general direction, here comes Jesus. Uh, you know how it's supposed to be a twinkling of an eye? This is more like the slowest blink of all time. Like, so Jesus is coming up and he's like, so first you see his hair, then you see his eyes. And during this, like, I can remember like talking this guy, his name is Eric, talking him into playing Jesus for that night. Like, dude, this is going to be awesome. And as he's coming up, I feel like he kind of gives me a little glance, like never again. Like I, our relationship is over. So he's kind of coming up over the rim and probably the worst part of it all is when you, when you stopped uh, hitting the button on the gene lift, he's rising and then goes like that at the top. And then he reaches out his hand and with, you could just tell he didn't want to do it at all, but he reached out his hand and he goes, come. And then I was like, can you bow your heads and close your eyes? And now I have to try to give an altar call. And to say that, I mean, I don't know that no one got saved that night. I think some people got saved. What I fear is that more people turned away from the Lord that night. I feel like there was some in the crowd that was like, if this is what it's about, I'm out. Like, I felt like there were some Christians that were really second guessing their faith because of our presentation that night. So uh, that one is one of the real lowlights uh, of my of my personal, like, man, we went into that with all kinds of aspirations, and uh, it was a rough one, so. <laughs> that's awesome. Come on, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so some of you have been at this meeting that we do annually every year where we try to bring in somebody like this, uh, and so you're aware of this, but uh, from this point on, if you have a question you know, raise your hand or whatever. We'll run a mic to you, and you can ask a question if you would like to. I do have a list of questions, a little more serious. Let's have some fun together, but some leadership questions. And uh, we're going to talk for the next 30 minutes and, and see if we can glean some, some uh, wisdom from Pastor Johnny and what he's learned over the years. So starting with that, so you've been at Faith for 24 years. That is a long time, a lot longer than a lot of other people have been in ministry, or especially in one location. In 24 years, you've seen a lot of ups and downs. You've seen a lot of growth in Faith Assembly. You know, we, we built a whole new campus there. I say we as if I did it. You guys built a whole, I mean, we like the kingdom. <laughs> you built a whole new campus there. You built um, the Gaylord Palms, I mean, Faith Assembly, um, over there on Curry Road, which I got to admit, the first time I heard it was called the Curry Ford Campus. Yeah. I thought for sure you guys like sold the branding to some Ford dealer over there. <laughs> that would be awesome, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, they're getting paid by some Ford dealer to call yeah, it. That's kind of sketchy, but... Um, uh, but you built a campus over there. You've seen a tremendous amount of growth. What are some of the lessons, you know, that you've learned over the years through the growth and the change? What are, what are some of the things that are applicable to us? Um, well, so I don't know. You know, a couple of things. I, um, you know, there's some, there's some real champions in ministry in this room who could answer that question better than I could. So know that I approach even this moment with a, a really solid level of, of like, Come on, now I shouldn't be up here talking about this with some of the people in the room uh, could do this so much better than me. But, uh, you know, from my context, I'll just throw out there kind of what has jumped out. And so when I think about um, over, the, over the years of, of serving and kind of seeing God uh, systematically, I, I would say one of the things that jumps out is this, is that in my younger years of ministry, 
um, we, would, we would often uh, pray and believe for the moment of transformation. I mean, we were always looking and praying and fasting and begging and uh, pleading God for the, the one service that was going to flip the switch or the one event that we, oh man, then we're not going back. And while I can look back and go, yeah, there were seasons and there were events that kind of changed our culture a little bit or certainly changed a lot of people's lives because they were a part of it or whatever. Um, When you look back over, you know, a couple of decades, you realize, no, it's just slow, incremental or not even necessarily slow, but certainly incremental growth, incremental momentum, a little bit of momentum added, a little bit more momentum added. Um, And so... Uh, as you look back, you go, yeah, I can't even see the one moment. I can't right. even see the one because there wasn't. It was get a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. And, and that's really what we've tried to do. And so with that, you know, there has to be some honest conversations and you have to constantly be reexamining what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. And then on a, on a personal level, uh, leading in one place for a long time, um, you know, um, I... I have had a couple seasons where I maybe considered some other things or prayed through those moments. But the first time that that probably started uh, to happen, I started to feel like when I came there, I had vision and I felt like God accomplished a lot of what I had dreamed up, Mm -hmm. you know, relatively quicker than I certainly thought he was going to. Whether I even really believed he was going to or not, I didn't even, I mean, I had vision, but... pretty, you know, a few years in, I was, I was seeing God do more than I ever thought I would ever see him do and use me to be a part of. I mean, I, yeah. so, so in one sense, I, I, I could let myself think we had kind of arrived. Um, and I can remember going to my pastor going, Hey, um, you know, so I'm, I, I don't know how I'm, what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling. And, um, and so we kind of talked through that. What I came to realize, cause I've been through that season multiple times is, you, you're at a place and you, you play your hand and you, sh- you show your cards and you do what you do. Um, and then you have a decision to make. Do I go somewhere else, show my hand, do what I do? Because um, I could do this again. I mean, maybe, right? With God's help, maybe I could go do the, a similar thing somewhere else. And that's what a lot of people do. I, I think um, I, I'm always quick to say this. I don't think everyone can stay in every situation for over two decades. So I, you'll never, you're never going to hear me go somewhere and go, well, why do people leave their church? Listen, we all know, <laughs> we all know why, we all know why some people leave churches, all right? Like, I, I understand that. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been blessed to be in a very, very healthy situation, which made longevity very easy, right? I get that. Um, but sometimes, people will cut longevity short because they've shown their hand, because they've done what they do. And now I have a choice. I either go somewhere else or I reinvent myself. I learn. I go back to the drawing board. I go back to prayer. I go back and say, God, you've accomplished the vision you gave me when I came here. So I need fresh vision. Uh, God, these leaders that are sitting around, you know, this room that I've taught for the last five years, they've heard all my leadership lessons. So I need some fresh (laughs) I need, right. right, I need something new to tell them. I need fresh vision to give them. And that's harder work than moving. Yeah. Like, I hate moving, but I'm telling you, reinventing yourself is that's way so harder than moving. And that's so uh, and so that's, I mean, at this point, multiple, multiple times where I've had to kind of have this metamorphosis of reinventing who I am, why I'm here, what God is calling me to do. And that's, that's hard work. It's easy to get 
um, a little bit complacent. It's easy to get a little bit stagnant. Um, even spiritually, it's, it's certainly easy to get stagnant. Um, and when I, uh, in my life, when I had felt myself doing that, losing my spiritual edge, I would, I would mix it up. I would do whatever I had to do to regain my spiritual edge again. And uh, so I think, that, you know, as I look back, those are the couple of things over a long period of time. I think it's been incremental. And then I think, you know, to, to, to lead the same people for a long period of time, as many, many people in this room can testify, you've got to go back and, and yeah. get fresh, fresh leadership, fresh vision, fresh word from God. That's so good. I think that incremental thing is so good, too. Like, it was a Jim Collins that talked about the flywheel principle that you guys might remember. You're always pushing, 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 and slowly it gets a little easier over time. But most of us think there's like one thing that if we do this thing, it'll suddenly change. I don't think it ever works like that. It doesn't seem. And to. the great thing about momentum is you are at some point yeah. you 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 stick at the right things for long enough. At some point you do see more results with less right. energy or with less um, you know yeah. uh, less work. Less work, yeah. Uh, and so if you do have the right, if you keep in the right things right and the main things the main things, yeah, you stick at it long enough. Uh, and so I did, I, mean, I would say I would experience, I did experience that, that the longer we kept doing what we felt like God was calling us to do, uh, probably the more energy giving it was versus yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so good. All right. So this next question would, would kind of really tells off of that very well, because you've been there 24 years, which means there has to be a healthy staff culture around faith or you wouldn't be there. And you just kind of joked about it a little bit, yeah. but. But what is it that makes a healthy staff culture? And, and what do you say to pastors or any of us in this room that are trying to create that healthy culture? Well, um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer of, of just culture in general. Um, and, and so um, I would say this about culture. Um, culture is set and protected by what we value, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's, and everywhere has a culture, like your favorite restaurant, it's not your favorite restaurant simply because of the food, because of the culture. You're experiencing a lot when you go in there. Yes, the right. food's part of it, but the way the room is and the way they treat you and the way the yeah. music, like it, it all part of it. And so every, everywhere your church has a culture, you go, no, we haven't said our, I know, trust me, there is. And people experience your culture before you tell them what your culture is. Um, and so it all comes from what you value. So we constantly need to ask ourselves, what do we value around here? Mm -hmm. um, well, let me say it this way. Maybe not what we value, because we, as Christians, we're, we're used to good Sunday school answers. And so if I say, what do you value? Everybody goes, prayer, uh, Jesus, worship, healing. You know, like we got all that. Let me say it this way then. What do your actions say you value? Because now that might be a different answer, right? To what, what are my actions? So if we're going to talk about a, a healthy staff culture, um, our actions are going to uh, are actually going to say what we value. That's what's going to set the culture. Um, and so I, I would say through the years, as far as our staff especially is concerned, um, you know, prayer has been something that has been an absolute highest value, highest passion. Um, my, our senior leadership pastor, Carl Stevens, most of you in this room are, are well aware of his leadership and his legacy. But, um, you know, we, we as a staff, I'm talking without fail every morning, uh, we're praying together an hour and it's, it's not an option. It's not a, oh yeah, but I scheduled a breakfast meeting. You, you schedule a breakfast meeting, know that next day you're going to have a meeting with pastor and he's going to be like, 
what was that? Oh, I had a breakfast. You can be like, okay, we'll make that a lunch, and we'll see you tomorrow morning at prayer. Like, it's not, it's not I'm too busy. It's not whatever. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not here saying that if you don't, that, that your church isn't spiritual. I, I'm, you know, again, it's all context for us. It's just, it's, it's one of the value points. And so what that has done um, is it's helped with the harmony in our pastoral staff, which, again, would be something that I would say protect and value uh, staff relations and staff harmony. But there's something about being in that room with everybody in the morning. You're seeing everybody. You're praying together, whatever, um, where where the I've heard, you know, maybe sometimes the case might be the only time I'm with these people that I'm working with is when we're in a meeting fighting over who's going to get this building for this event, or who's going to get the money for this budget for this. Um, and if that's the only time we're spending together is when there is this potential, uh, you know, contention going on, well, that's going to, that's going to affect culture. So even, you know, I mean, obviously prayer is going to be beneficial on a lot of levels, but I have seen it beneficial just in our, in our, uh, staff relationships. And, uh, and then I would say trust is, is a, for our staff culture, um, that there has been a, a good level of trust. And um, I think that goes both ways. I think that most of the people that serve uh, under a pastor do uh, a lot of to, to earn trust. Um, you know, I can say this, that over the last 24 years, the number of times um, Pastor Carl has said no to me, um, I could probably count on one hand. Um, and so someone might be quick to go, oh, so you get everything you want. And, and no, that's not the answer. The answer is I don't ask him for things that I think he would want to say no to. Right. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose trust in him if I do that. Uh, I've talked to a lot of younger guys, and they'll be in situations where they're hounding their, their leadership for more of this and more of that. And you know, they won't let me do this. They won't let me do that. And usually my advice is, you know what, you need to go somewhere else. Because you're, you're making the life of your leader miserable because he, he doesn't want to say no to you, but you keep putting him in this position where he has to say no. Yeah. And so I, I had made that decision a long time ago. I think Hebrews, uh, I think it's, I think it's uh, maybe chapter 13 of Hebrews where it talks about people who, who, um, who serve over us. And it says, we, we're there to make their joy or to make their uh, job a joy, not a burden. So if I'm adding extra stress and extra, you know, he's got, oh, I don't want to meet with him. You know, like he's going to ask me like, no. Um, and things that I would I, I would say this to things that I, I know that my pastor would want us to do. I would I'd start doing them before he asked me to do them. So there was multiple times through the years where he would be like, have you ever thought about doing whatever? And I said, oh, yeah, we, we, we have that on the calendar. We're doing that. Oh, you are? Yeah. And he'd get this look on his face like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> but I was, I'm, I'm all that time, I'm depositing yeah. trust. And with that, um, it made for an environment where I loved being there because, yeah. you know, that trust was now coming back because he knew, he knew, he knew, well, I'm just, I'm talking about me, but it's really our staff wide, but uh, there's not really a doubt of loyalty. Um, uh, and because, again, that's one of those things that's valued around here. And so it takes some of us kind of maybe modeling that uh, but besides him. But um, I will and I just throw this out there. But, but my, my pastor has been one of the most uh, just compassionate people that I've ever met before. And so he's he cares. Uh, there's, you know, there's been different seasons all through those years where I walked away from meetings going, man, this this dude really cares more about who I am than what I do. Yeah. And that, uh, you know. 
he's not perfect. Um, you know, none of us are, but, uh, but that, that spoke to me a lot, um, in those moments when I go, oh, this guy cares, cares about who I am. So that's a lot, but. Yeah, we, we talk about what do we value and, uh, so often what you value is determined by what you'll fight for. And so it's funny, you're talking about prayer, and if you miss prayer that morning, you got a meeting with pastor the next day, yeah. right? Because he's going to fight for it. Yeah. And values are really determined what you fight for. So you can say, this is my value or that, because it's on paper and because we have 16 fundamental truths, Super Terry, uh, that we say we value. But what are we really fighting over? That's what we value. And in your culture, part of that is the prayer. So I'm just curious with, with prayer, what does that practically look like? Like, what time is it to win? Are you guys all meeting in one room? Do you hold hands? Do you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like what a practically, what does that look like? Yeah, it's funny. Um, we, we just made some adjustments to it because um, um, for years and years, it was kind of like the senior pastoral staff uh, would be in a room. And then like um, our some of our other um, departments or staff would kind of be in a different room, youth staff and our leadership college kids. And so that's the way it's been for a long time. And really, over the last couple of weeks, it was like, hey, why don't we just everybody all together? So we've started doing that. So it's a, it's a, it's a bigger group now. But in that, um, Pastor was very adamant as to what it looked like. And uh, so we, we, we sent out like three or four different emails to everybody who was this new system that they were all coming to. And he kept saying, we read the word. Uh, for 30 minutes, and we pray for 30 minutes. 30 minutes, And he just kept saying that over and over again, which again, back to setting culture, yeah. you're going to set culture by valuing it and over-communicating it. And yeah. so it was, for some of us, it was a little bit like, I know, we get it, you know, but that's the way it's going to be, you know, like, and so he kept saying, read the Bible. And he, like, so we don't, and we don't do other things. We read the Bible for 30, we pray for 30. About two days in, He's like, oh, come tomorrow. I'm going to share a little bit at the start. Gets up, share. Guess what he shares on? We read the Bible for 30 minutes. We pray for 30 minutes. And he was like, and when we, when we read the Bible, we don't read other. We're not reading self-help books. We're not listening to other sermons. We're reading. We're in the word. When we pray, he, he starts challenging everybody in the room. You know what? The biblical form of prayer is to pray out loud. So pray out loud. And, whatever. and again, setting just a very specific culture of what this time is going to look like. And you could go, let everybody do what they want. But um, to be honest, some of the people in that room need that guidance and need that accountability and need that structure. Um, And so, yeah, it's been huge for me, uh, you know, so most of us just read the Bible through when we're, when we're doing that. Um, And I can, I can safely say I've read the Bible way more times through than I would have if I had not been an employee of Faith Assembly. And I love Jesus, and I love the Word, and I would have read it, but not like, not, not as much or, you know, as systematically as I, as I have been. Um, and so it's, we, we meet at 8, uh, 25 right now and go till, uh, 9 30. Uh, so I guess you get that first five minutes to kind of, you know, get set and then usually reading from about 8 30 to 9 and then praying from about 9 to 9 30. And we don't really ever, I mean, there'll be times when somebody will go, hey, guys, I feel like we should pray for this, or God kind of gave me a word. That, that kind of stuff happens, but there's not a, um, a regular daily or weekly gather up at the end or anything like that. Okay. What about, so, so in a similar vein, we talk about staff culture, but what about church culture? What makes a great church culture, which, which you guys obviously have, because healthy things grow, and so if it's healthy culture, it's going to eventually grow in different, different ways. Uh, so you have a great church culture. What makes it great, and, and how, do you, how do you help it to be great? Yeah, um, 
as I said, people know your culture when they walk in. So we could have something on the wall, but that's not necessarily going to make our culture. Um, one of the things that I do from time to time, and I, I would recommend, is if someone new does come through, or even if they're not new, maybe maybe they're just not um, as as churchy, or they'll at least somebody who will tell you the truth. But you could say, hey, what do you think we value around here? And they're going to give you answers that you don't expect. Um, and uh, and so you, we may we may think we're a friendly church, but that may be, you know, 27th on somebody's list of what we value is friendliness. Well, if that's the case, now I know, okay, I want that to be part of our culture, but it's not. And here's the thing about the culture. Uh, Peter Drucker is a management expert, and he's got a quote that says, uh, culture, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what happens is we go to conferences, and they go, here's how to win the loss. We can come back and go, I'll implement that strategy of how to win the loss. But if evangelism is not one of my core values by what our actions are, then that strategy is not going to work. Um, and so we, we really have to get in the core of, of leadership, and that's not just probably senior pastor leadership, but certainly staff leadership, volunteer leadership. Um, and so I would say we've worked hard to kind of protect um, that, and that means having a lot of conversations with a lot of people who are in leadership. Uh, they're the ones that are really going to set the culture. Uh, and that means having sometimes difficult conversations, sometimes teaching conversations. So um, I, I'm, not, I'm not one who would say, yeah, only one person should be up there leading because then you, you're sure that that person can set. No, I, we like to get as many people involved as we can. But in that, sometimes somebody's going to be off track a little bit on, on something, one of our values. And that's fine. We're going we're gonna to talk to them afterwards and say, hey, you know, when we talk about this, this is really what we want to communicate. And so we've had a lot of those conversations through the years, and that's all uh, done to protect culture. Right. Um, and so I think it's a matter of deciding what, what it is you want to value and then being honest about, are we valuing those things? And so, yeah. you know, if passion's it, then are we, do we look passionate? Like, are we communicating that? Because everything communicates. If it's excellence, oh, that's part of our culture. But if I got you know, stuff stacked up in the side of the eight, you know, the, the auditorium. And if my bathrooms are dirty and whatever, then excellence isn't. And it's it, maybe that's fine. But just because excellence on a wall doesn't mean that's one of our values. So we've got to be honest with ourselves and go, if, you know, if I want to met to be my culture, I have to value that. I have to protect that. And I have to hold people accountable to it. Yeah, that's so good. I've, I've heard it said this way, that that culture is defined by what you tolerate and what you create. So to me, I've always had the image of, you know, you're right there by Disney. And so you get these Disney hedges that are Mickey Mouse or whatever, they're animals. Somebody's in there clipping all those. Because left to itself, it's going to branch out. It's going to do its own thing. Church culture is like that. Left to itself, it's going to run itself. Our job as leaders is to cultivate that and cut it at times, trim it, but also allow it to grow. So that's what you tolerate and what you create. Anybody have any questions before we switch gears slightly to the next question? Yeah, Kyle. Yeah. Or, or having a rapture happen. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if I'm, if I'm a super creative person or not. Um, may, you know, maybe I'm okay. 
Um, but I, somewhere along the line, really, really, really started to love and value team ministry. And, and uh, when I started, that did not come natural to me. So you may, you know, some people are just natural, like, oh, honey, booger, sugar, you know, that Jeannie Mayo type of person. Uh, I am not that. When I started ministry, I was more like, I'll be in my office uh, and I'll do my thing and y'all do your thing. And if I see on the way out, I might not. If not, maybe tomorrow. You know, like that was, I just, it's just kind of how I, I don't know. It was just, and, and I had team people work with me that really, it really wounded them a little bit or, or certainly they didn't feel a part of the team like, like they should have. Uh, and somewhere along the line, I started to, to really work on getting better at that. Um, and I'm to the point now where, man, I, I hardly will make a decision or certainly plan anything like that without getting some people in the room and saying, OK, um, what you know, what do you think about this or uh, what, are, what do we need? to what, uh, So for, as a practical answer, we do kind of a at least quarterly. Most of our different departments do this. I do this now on a church level. Um, we just make sure we get the right people in the room, eight or 10 people that have some creativity. Um, we've, through the years, used a lot of people that don't work at the church for that. Um, people that are kind of, you know, I mean, sometimes not even really the most saved people, but yet they're the ones that have kind of seen a lot of stuff and maybe can throw out some ideas. Um, you know, we believe that the message is sacred, but the method isn't. And so um, I don't think you'd be hard pressed. We've had a couple moments where we failed. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a time in which our creativity overwhelmed the message or the truth. We, we're, we don't really play that. We don't put in creativity just for the sake of, you know, well, we got to always show a you know, video clip or we always got to have a secular song play. Like, no, that's not if, if it's not going to help communicate the gospel, we're not going to mess with it. But we'll, we'll get a team of people together in a room and we'll, we'll start to go, hey, this is what we feel like God wants to say. God, we just feel like we need to talk about prayer. Um, now, what, what can we do to really drive this home? What can we do to decorate this? Well, we could talk, okay, we could talk about this. Oh, you know, I heard one church did this. Or, man, I saw this one, you know, video the other day, and somebody pulled it up. Um, and so it's really about getting those voices uh, and, and listening to them. And I have found that when you get those people in the room and they start throwing out ideas, they'll be the ones that will, you know, work the hardest to accomplish it because they're a part of creating it. And um, I know that sometimes it's easier. I've heard people say, yeah, well, I just don't have creative people, you know, in my church. And, and I would probably say, yeah, you probably do have them. It's just a matter of finding them um, and, uh, and then getting them in the room. And, and so uh, at this point, like my, you know, on a practical level, again, just talking about our context, not right or wrong. Uh, my pastor is not really a part of those meetings. Um, I kind of direct those and I go to pastor and I say, hey, here's what we're Here's what we feel like God's maybe telling us. And he has the chance to go, I don't want to mess with it. Okay, that's fine. And then some of them, he'll be like, oh, I like that a lot. Uh, and he'll really gravitate to those. Um, but we're just, you know, we're just helping kind of the overall creative expression of what we do. I think variety sometimes can come across as creativity. So I think if we do the same exact thing all the time, um, it'll even if it is creative, it'll seem not because it's the same thing we did last week and the same thing we did last year. Um, and so there's a book uh, called Made to Stick that talks about breaking people's guessing machines. So when somebody comes to your service, they're expecting what's going to come next. Right. They're going to go, oh, yeah, well, now, and then now that we sing one more song, okay, now the announcements, and then now this, and now he's going to tell a funny story, and then he's going to redivert. Like, the more we can do where people go, hold up, what now? Like, break their guessing machine, 
It doesn't have to be the most inventive, creative, no one's ever done this before. It just has to be different. And guess what? When they experience something different, they go, oh, that was creative. And you're like, well, no, it wasn't. We just moved, the, we moved this song to here and we moved the offering to here. But sometimes that can come across as creativity just because it's different and a little bit of variety. Amen. Yeah. That's good. All right. So we have uh, five minutes left, and I want to get to the last question here in a second. But before we get to that one, I'm going to mix two of them together. You can answer it whichever way or however you would like to. So obviously, we're all walking through COVID right now. It's been a unique season. What have you learned through COVID mixed with, I think there's a lot of trepidation about the future, not of the church capital C, but the church lowercase c with America and the direction it's going right now and such. So, so what do you see happening in the future? What trends, what, you know, just what do you see happening in the future and what have you learned through the COVID pandemic? Yeah, let me start with this second and maybe try to work my way back to COVID. Um, we, we don't get to talk about COVID enough. So I'm uh, just kidding. Um, here's where I feel like um, a little bit of um, discomfort with the direction that I see the church going. And it may bear witness with somebody here, it may not. But, um, you know, I've been in it long enough, but I'm not, you know, I haven't been in it as, as long as some. But um, I feel like we're moving a little bit away from experiential um, moments with God in the church and that, that probably concerns me a little bit. I, I, definitely, I definitely started seeing that across uh, student ministries over the last, uh, you know, five or six or seven years. And I have traveled quite a bit, um, speaking a lot to students in a lot of different settings across the country. And I just started finding that students were more and more unfamiliar with experiencing the power of God and experiencing the presence of God in a way that really affects them, really even... Uh, you, you know, you're, you're, I just I'm finding fewer and fewer people ever even know how to even really get a hold of God. And, and I yeah. and I know that we could go. I know that we could think that some of those things are cultural in that. Oh, you just think that that's the only way to be a Christian is to be snotting at the altar and rolling around. And, and, I, and it's it's not that that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but but I, I am afraid for a, a generation of students, I guess, because. I've talked to so many students um, who are even adults now or whatever who can go and back and go, I don't know everything. And I even had that college professor try to talk me out of my faith. But I, I can't answer all the questions, but I know that God's real. Because yeah. I remember that night that God should. I have that in my life where I'm just like, I'm sorry, God's real. Like, yeah, you may have some you may have some debates for me, but I don't know what to tell you. God's real. Like, I know he's real in my life. I'm worried about a generation that has never had that moment. Right. And so they've sat in their little cute small group and they've told their stories and they prayed on the way out and got an Oreo cookie. And again, like I'm not I'm not against small groups. Right. I hope you hear my heart. I'm just like, yes, do all of that. But also have some moments of spiritual um, revelation and, and, and fight for a move of God. And so I think, I think I'm afraid that the church is maybe moving to a place of being a little bit too cute and, and has moved away from experiencing really truly who God is. As far as COVID goes, I think the thing we've learned is that the church is going to, the church is going to do fine uh, no matter what happens. And we've certainly seen that. Uh, we, we, we saw our, we saw ministry opportunities, just drop on our lap things that we weren't doing before that we started doing and God really blessed it. 
Um, we were a very, very busy church. We, 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 we for the, through the years, have pushed nine events at the same time and can't wonder why, can't figure out why nobody understands what's going on. I'm like, well, because they're getting all of our nine events confused that we're trying to promote at the same moment. Um, so we've been a very event-driven, very, very busy church. And, you know, COVID forces to go, eh, what's important, you know? And, um, and now we, we keep, we're just adding these small pieces back and we're all looking around going, wait, like the church is still going, man. We're still re- reaching people and, and lives are still being changed without this hectic, you know, of all of this stuff. And I'm not saying that any of it was bad. I'm not saying we won't eventually go back to a lot of it, but it's, it's certainly shown us that, um, you know, the, it's, it's the real basics of ministry is what really counts and the church is going to be fine no matter what you know, no matter what kind of virus comes and no matter what, who gets elected and whatever, the church of Jesus Christ is going to make it and we're going to be a part of it. Amen. Amen. That's good. That's so good. Sure. Do you feel that uh, asking, talking about politics before the message of God comes forth, that it would uh, turn people off? From, uh... Uh, I think it can be done uh, in a way that... Uh, that from a biblical uh, standpoint, uh, not to say that that won't turn people off, <laughs> right? Uh, but I would say at our place, again, one of the things uh, you can go back, uh, you can go back about four years and a couple weeks, all right? And look at, there was a, there would have been a weekend where our pastor addressed some of those things very, very, very clearly. And yes, it turned some people off, but uh, he, you know, we've, we've always felt a real responsibility to at least present, uh, uh, you know, some, some uh, help people vote in a biblical, from a biblical standpoint. But it's, boy, it's tough. And this year, it'll be, or this election season, it will be tougher than it's ever been. Yeah. People are ready to, you know, really get angry over it. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So last question for the ordination class, primarily, that's in here tonight. So you are looked up to by young ministers across the district. You're the godfather of youth ministry, even though you're not in youth ministry anymore. But in our district, at least, uh, you're looked up to that way. And, uh, and especially just young ministers in general. Not that older ministers probably look up to you too, but what would you say to the ordination class tonight if you just had like a one-on-one, a quick one-on-one with them? Like what advice would you give them on this, this kind of special occasion? Um. I'm only the godfather of youth ministry if I am that around here because I just stayed at a place a long time. So I just got complacent and I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything with my life. And so there I am. All right. Uh, here's what I would say, though, in all seriousness. Um, anybody, um, and we have young people coming through all the time, uh, and I think my message ends up being this a lot to them. And it would be this uh, really guard against um, ministry with any kind of contamination in your heart. Um, and it can happen so easily that we can get good at the skill set of ministry and lose out on a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, when I started in ministry, I didn't have a skill set. So all I had was dependence on God. And then as I got better at ministry, as my competence increased, my dependence on God could decrease. And that's the dangerous place. And if my dependence on God decreases now, I can get up and fake it till I make it. And I can get up and I can have some unresolved sin in my life. But, I, you know, I'm, I just got to do what I got to do. Um, and I have been 
um, I, again, I'm not perfect at all, but one of the things I've always guarded is I am, I am going to, I am going to protect the sacredness of the calling to preach the gospel. And I'm, I'm not going to get up and do that with impure motives or an impure heart. Uh, have, again, not perfect, but I tell you what, I'm going to get right before I stand on the assignment God's given me in, in any moment uh, at all. And so guard against thinking that I can answer this call with a contamination in my heart. That's, it, it, that's, that's a so dangerous good. place to live. That's yeah. so good. So good. Come on, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.